Let me turn my mic on. There we go. We've had, we've had a lot of laughing around here this morning. We always do. We've had um, in each of the services. Um, I, try, I try not to um, overdo kind of the sports talk up here. Um, except for Duke basketball, I work that in a little bit. But, you know, it's a big, a big uh, football weekend, and, and uh, we have a lot of, and you know, there's a lot of the congregation, a lot of you that uh, have your roots up in Ohio. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, exactly. So we've we've seen the red this morning, and and everybody's talking about the game. And then of course we have a bunch of Wisconsin people in the church, and they're um, they've brought their um, paganism into the uh, congregation today. And so now we were joking, you know. I, I said, in all seriousness, we know you know that the Lord does not care who wins a football game because. If he did, he'd certainly root for the Cowboys. So, uh, so anyway, so uh, so enjoy it. Um, I don't want to hear anything from any of you, you know. Um, after the fact, I did do. Um, I've done a little little track. We have a, a member of the congregation that comes at uh, the eight fifteen service, Carrie Kleister. She's wonderful, and she's a big Green Bay fan. And so we've been trash talking all week back and forth on. Uh, and if the Cowboys don't win, I'm never going to hear the end of it. So, um, but let's, let's turn our hearts to things truly that matter this morning. Uh, our scripture is from Acts chapter 10. And uh, it's verses 23 through um, 43. But I do have to set the scene. Because if you're not immediately familiar with this scripture, if you're not immediately familiar with the story, it, it is essential to kind of know what leads up to this part of the, the text that I'm going to read this morning. And that um, this is an encounter between Peter and a Gentile, a Roman, uh, by the name of Cornelius. Now, just prior to what I'm about to read, um, Cornelius, who is described as, as a man who, who was generous to those who are in need, who sought the Lord, um, and, and, and I think probably sought an understanding. I think he might be described in, in what's commonly talked about in, in church circles as a seeker, somebody who's trying to understand the truth of who God is. And uh, he receives this vision that says, send your people to, uh, to, to Peter. Go find Peter and bring him to come and share the story, the gospel with you. And so he does that. And while his, his men are on their way to, to summons or to ask Peter to come, Peter gets a vision on a rooftop, and that vision is of foods that are lowered down on a sheet that were traditionally considered unclean for a Jewish person to eat. Um, and he hears the words, kill and eat. And Peter responds, far be it from me, he responds kind of, no, I've never eaten anything unclean. And the voice that he hears says this, Do not call anything unclean or impure that God has made clean. And that's the vision that he gets, which is a vision that is going to speak to far more than food and dietary restrictions, as we will read. Peter would come to understand what this, what this vision meant and the significance of this vision. So I want to pick it up in verse 23. The, the um, Cornelius' servants, if you will, have come and they've given... Peter the invite. And this is what we pick up at verse, the second half of verse 23. The next day, Peter started out with them. 
and some of the believers from Joppa went along. The following day he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I am only a man myself. While talking with them, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, and I want you to hear how Peter begins the conversation in the home of Cornelius. You are well aware that it is against the law for a Jew to associate or visit a Gentile. Peter basically says, you know I'm not supposed to be here. That this is, to, to put words in his mouth, beneath the behavior of a good Jew. Now, can you imagine inviting somebody into your home who their first words into your home was, you know, I really shouldn't be seen being here. You know, I really shouldn't be here. And that's kind of the way Peter starts, but that's, of course, not where he stays. He goes on to say, But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. The same language of the vision. I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you have sent for me? Cornelius answered, Three days ago I was in my house praying at this hour, at three in the afternoon. Suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me, and he said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He is a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. What a wonderful invitation. We are here to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. Now, I want you to hear what Peter's doing. He's giving him a creed. This is a creed that we're reading. This is one of the early creeds of the church. It's a testimony of faith, much the same way, maybe not in the same detail, and as full as the affirmation that we spoke of this morning. But it's a creed. It's a testimony of the faith that Peter is professing to them. And he goes on in verse 39 to say, We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the, of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of all the living and the dead. All the prophets testified about him, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. 
Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Gracious Lord, that we would hear the word that speaks to us of the one who is the word. It's Jesus Christ. And that we'd have the faith in which we have forgiveness of sins and grace in the journey of life and of faith. We pray your blessing. Do with these moments as you wish by the power of your Holy Spirit. We pray in Jesus. Amen. I don't know how many of you remember um, the movie. It came out in the late 50s based on the play, based on the, the story, if you will, of, um, of Helen Keller's life. But it was called The Miracle Worker. Uh, some of you remember, some of you are nodding your head, remember that I think that movie in the 50s was Anne Bancroft, does that sound right? And Patty Duke. And then in the late 70s, they, they did another, I don't know if it was a remake or another version that had Melissa Gilbert and Patty Duke. And, and it told part of the story of, of Helen Keller's life, part of the, the story of her unique relationship with, with Anne Sullivan, who was her teacher. And and you know, really lifelong confidant, at least the rest of, of Ann Sullivan's life. But if you don't know some of the backstory of Helen Keller's life, um, just a few details to, to set the scene if it's unfamiliar. Uh, Helen Keller, when she was about 18 months old, um, became very, very ill. They think maybe with a meningitis or a scarlet fever. But it was that illness that caused her to lose her sight and to lose her hearing. And in many ways trapped her trapped her in her own world, in a, a world where she was almost incapable of, of at that point, of communicating um, with, with those around her. There were a few hand signals that she had been able to develop or with, with the cook, the family cook, but for the most part, she was kind of insulated from the world around her. Fortunately, she had parents that didn't give up trying. And so at the age of seven, through a series of, of correspondence, they, they connected with this young teacher, 20 years old, out of a school for the blind by the name of Ann Sullivan, who herself had difficulty um, with her own vision. And, uh, and so she came to be Helen Keller's teacher. And for months, she tried to help Helen Keller connect her experiences with um, the world around her to understand what, what was happening. And what she would do, and you may remember if you've seen the movie, is she would, whenever Helen Keller would touch something or interact with something, she would use American Sign Language and she would sign into the palm of her hand with gestures to, that it was a sign for what she was experiencing. But the reality for months is that there seemed to be no fruit. There seemed to be no connection. Helen Keller would get very frustrated with, with this inability to understand what Ann Sullivan was doing. And it just, over and over, she would tirelessly go through the routine of these gestures and these attempts to communicate with seemingly no, um, no benefit, no, no connection, no, no um, return, if you will, on the investment of her time. Until the watershed moment. And it literally was a watershed moment. If you remember the movie... Um, Helen Keller has her hands underneath uh, a pump as water's being run. And for the first time, she's able to connect the, the symbol for water, the gesture that Ann Sullivan is making with what she is feeling and experiencing. It's the first time she's able to connect 
and to, to have some sort of understanding that this gesture and this experience coincide. And it very literally opened the world up for her. It began to build the foundational blocks that would be her ability to communicate with the world and communicate she did, going on to actually um, earn a bachelor's degree from college and become an advocate for social causes and, and quite a, an accomplished life that she would go on to lead. And so the, the title of the, the play, the title of this, the movie, and maybe a book as well, is The Miracle Worker. But the interesting thing is the miracle is not what we would naturally assume. The miracle we immediately go to in a story like that is that somehow she got her vision back, somehow she got her hearing back, but that wasn't the miracle. The miracle, I think, was the way that this woman, Ann Sullivan, became a catalyst for connection through her incredible patience, through her willingness to not quit, to not give up, to not write off this young girl as incapable or beyond reaching. And, and I thought about that. And I thought about the example of that kind of patience. And I thought about how desperately we're in a state of short supply when it comes to patience in this world. I mean, I thought about my own reality. And would I have had the patience, the um, stick to to have kept at it? And I don't think I would have. Because I am guilty of an immediate payoff mindset. I, I am one, like, like many of you, who wants to see immediate results. That's the reality. That's, that's my challenge in a lot of ways. And, and what I know is, in having conversations I'm with, with folks all morning about this, I, I'm not in a minority group. There are a lot of us that I think would, would say that we are in short supply of, of patience. Of, you know, we, and we live in, in, a, in a world in which we're conditioned for that. We're, we're, we're conditioned to, to seek um, kind of a immediate response, to, to kind of have our, our needs catered to. We're just not, we're not conditioned to wait for anything nowadays. I, I, was, I was kind of framing this um, in some of, some of the things that, that are expectation. That, you know, 100 years ago, when you mailed a letter, it took three weeks for that letter to arrive. Three weeks for you to be able to have correspondence with somebody in another part of the country. I have a friend, Jason, who is in ministry in India. He's in the, the, uh, the doctoral program I'm in. I can talk to him in seconds if I want to via text messaging. We're and we expect instant response. Uh, Amazon, if you've seen the news, they're experimenting with using drones to deliver packages so that you can have something you order online within hours of ordering it. Now, I know I'm the only one thinking, that is a bad idea. <laughs> There's a lot of people that are going to be hunting drones if they start putting those things up. But the idea is they know that what we want is instant results. We don't want to wait one or two days. We want, it, we want it right now. I mean, how many of you get on an elevator, and if nobody's getting on, 
immediately start pushing the closed door button. So you don't have to wait those five extra seconds for the door to close. Now, if you're really honest, how many of you have seen somebody coming and start pushing the closed door <laughs> button? We're just, yeah, yeah, we're, we're just, you know, we are, we are absolutely conditioned. I remember, I, was talking, I remember dad's first computer in his office at the church in Jacksonville where, where he served. Uh, and it was right next to the parsonage. And I think it was in Epson. Was it in Epson? It was an old, well, of course it was old. It was in the 80s. At the time it was brand new. I didn't mean that about him. I'm, Oh, geez. But read into it what you will. Um, it was an Epson computer, the old five and a quarter inch floppies, you know, those big, the ones that our kids have no idea about, and uh, monochrome, you know, the green monochrome screens and stuff. But, you know, that thing took minutes to boot up if, if I'm not underselling it. But it seemed so fast. It seemed so amazing. Nowadays, Darian's on a computer back there running our audiovisual. that from a cold, from turned off, that thing is booted up in about three seconds. And if you have to wait any longer, you get impatient. I mean, that's just the way. Why do I have to wait so long? That took 15 seconds because we want instant. I don't watch television in live time anymore because I have one of those digital recorders. So I can go do something else and come back so I don't have to watch commercials. That's a waste of my time. I don't want, I don't want to invest my time in things that aren't immediately going to pay off. That's just, the, you don't see Heinz ketchup marketing their slow drip anymore. You notice that? <laughs> they don't remember. That used to be their marketing. It was so good. You know, they put the bottle on the top of the house. Yeah, I don't even see the bottles anymore. Somebody said that they have the bottles at fine dining restaurants, which is why I don't ever see them anymore. Um, but, but, you know, we just, it's just the way, the way that we're wired. And, and it's a challenge that we have because we want inspire. Tony and I, last night, I love the way I get these examples just in daily life. Uh, the kids, the youth, last night went to Winter Jam in Tampa. Christian concerts, about five hours long. And so they were there with Joe and Julie and some other adults. Tony and I had the night to ourselves. So we, we went to dinner, which we don't normally do on Saturday nights. I tend to be a creature of habit. So I try to kind of stay in and, and start preparing um, making sure I have everything prepared. I don't start on Saturday night, but make sure it's all prepared. No comments. I know what you're going to say um, occasionally, but anyway. And, uh, but Tony and I went to dinner, and so we just, we just drove down to Applebee's. Um, and I know why I don't usually go to dinner on Saturday nights, but I um, mean, the place was packed. And uh, I dropped Tony off, and I'm looking for a place to park. And, and I don't know how familiar you are with the parking lot, but I was coming around the building, and there's an, there's a, a, um, an aisle that is a one-way aisle, and all the cars park at an angle, so you have to go the right way. And as I'm starting to turn down that aisle, this truck just, just you know, barreled down the, the wrong direction, coming the wrong way. Unfortunately, I saw it before it took off the front end of the car. And then I watched as this truck then took a right down another wrong way aisle, and I saw why they were doing it. There was a parking spot right there. And they took their truck this way, and then they backed their truck in so they could have that spot. Now, here's what was so silly about it. I drove, carefully now, around and did a circle, and I parked two spots away from that truck. There were spots available, but not that close. And he or she, I didn't see, 
was in such a hurry because they wanted that spot. Because heaven forbid they have to be any further away from the restaurant than absolutely necessary. Now I'm telling you, Applebee's is fine. It's a good place to eat, but it ain't that fine. I mean, but, but lest I throw stones, I, I fall into that trap of wanting, you know, J.G. Wentworth, I need my money and I need it now. You know, it becomes our mentality, instant gratification. Now, why? Why does that matter? What does that have to do with Acts chapter 10? Well, we have this wonderful story, this wonderful message that Peter delivers. But at the heart of the story is the revelation, continued revelation of a God whose mentality couldn't be more different than many of ours. A God who, not that he doesn't desire instant results in us, but knows better. A God who is not demanding that we get it all right and we get it all right now, but a God who is willing to be patient with us in our journey and in our walk of faith that shows us the grace and the, the compassion that we very often fail to show others. And that is seen not in the message. See, our, our tendency, my tendency when I read the story, as I have read many times, is I want to go to focus on Cornelius and the message that Peter delivers. And we will in just a moment. But I think the most powerful lesson I pulled from this scripture this time is not on the message, but on the messenger. Because in Peter, we learn something very significant about the nature and the character of God. And it's found in a very subtle statement that he makes in verse 34. Let me read it to you again. There in the home of Cornelius, this is what we read. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism. Now maybe like me, your focus goes to the God does not show favoritism part of that statement. That's not what jumps out at me. It's the beginning. I now realize. I now realize. This is Peter. This is Acts chapter 10. We are introduced to Peter in Matthew chapter 4. That's a long time before Acts chapter 10. Peter is one of the first disciples of Jesus. This is where I want you to understand where I'm going. Peter was there for the duration of the ministry of Jesus. He's one of the first disciples that Jesus calls. He's with Jesus through the miracles. He's with Jesus in Caesarea Philippi when Jesus says, Who do you say that I am? And Peter declares, You are the Christ. Jesus looks at Peter and says, You're the rock. You're the rock that I'm going to build my church. Peter sees the miracle. He's there with him in Samaria. He's there with him in Jerusalem. He's there with him in Galilee. He knows the death that Christ died, and he personally witnessed the resurrection. He was there on Pentecost when the Holy Spirit broke forth and people from all parts of the globe heard in their language. Peter has seen all of this. If we learn best through experience, if the best education of life is not the theoretical knowledge that we read, but the experience we have in our day-to-day -day engagement, if that's our best teacher, then, then Peter has had one heck of an education. Yet what we learn in Acts chapter 10 again is that Peter was a slow learner. 
I now realize. Do you understand? It blows my mind that it takes until Acts chapter 10 for Peter to realize something that was at the heart of the gospel of Jesus Christ from the beginning. I now realize that God shows no favoritism. I mean, did he not pick that up in Samaria when Jesus encountered a woman at a well? Did he not understand that when Jesus was on a cross and he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do? But he says, I now got it. I'm just now figuring it out. This is the heart of the gospel. It's for everybody. And that's why Peter says to Cornelius, I know I wasn't supposed to. I've been trained my whole life. I've lived in such a way and have been indoctrinated into a faith that told me that Jews are the chosen people, so I'm not supposed to be here. I'm not supposed to be in a Gentile home. I'm not supposed to be breaking bread with those outside the, the nation of Israel. But you know what? I now realize that's garbage. But it blows my mind that it took him that long. And I am so thankful for Peter because Peter gives me hope. Because as easy it is for me to shake my head at how slow it seems for Peter to learn that lesson, I know that if we turn that microscope on my life, if I gave you the microscope and you could examine the reality of my life and my walk with Jesus, you'd realize there's so many times I know God looks at me and just shakes his head and goes, how long before he gets it? And here's what's even more true, or not more true, equally true. If we turn that microscope on each of you, we'd find the same thing. Peter gives me hope because Peter is a reminder for us that God is an incredibly patient God. That God sticks with us even when the fruits don't show. That God continues like Ann Sullivan in the hand of Helen Keller to make the gestures so that we will connect the truth that he desperately wants us to hear. I mean, Peter couldn't have been any closer. And yet Peter over and over messes it up. As I said, I love Peter. Thank God for Peter. He's hot-headed and temperamental. He reacts in violence when he's followed a one who has called him to be an agent of peace. He runs and hides when they arrest Jesus. He denies that he knows him. And yet, no point does God ever give up on Peter. And God doesn't give up on us. Over and over, he continues to pursue us. And I am so thankful for that. Because if God was not a patient God, he'd have written me off a long time ago. And I'd be in good company. But that's not the nature of God. The fruits of the Spirit. Patience is one of them. Paul says, love is patient. Because that's the very nature of God. And we should celebrate that because it reminds us God doesn't give up on us. And some of us need to hear that today. Some of us, in our own impatience in life, we need to be reminded in our shortcomings that God doesn't give up on us. But here's part two of that promise. As God doesn't give up on us, God doesn't give up on anyone else either. And we need to remember that sometimes we have a tendency to give up too easy on others. That God's challenging us to not only receive the gift of his patience and grace, but to live into it. Peter's called to the house of Cornelius. Cornelius represented a people that Peter and, and many of the Jews of his day believed that God had given up on a long time ago. Guess says, no, Peter. I haven't forgotten them. I haven't given up on them. And what's more, I'm calling you to step into their home to tell them the good news of Jesus. 
to step into the circle, or better yet, to invite them into your circle, because they never have been outside of it. And I guess the challenge for me is I wonder who I've placed outside the circle, who I have just written off as a little beyond God's reach. Now, intellectually, I don't do that. Theologically, I know the truth of the Scriptures, that, God is, that, that His gospel is for all people. And I venture to say that if I asked you to stand up and tell me who, doesn't, who, who God doesn't love, that there's not one of you that would stand up and name anybody. Because we know better. But I wonder sometimes if the actions of our lives give evidence to the things that we say. Who in your life, by your actions, by your, by your impulses, by the thoughts that nobody else hears, have you placed outside the circle just a little beyond God's reach, just a little too far removed for them ever to come in? That's what Peter thought of Cornelius until God showed him otherwise. Peter learned a lesson that the, God's patience with him was God's patience with Cornelius as well. And he invites him into the circle of faith. Who do we need to invite in? Or better yet, who do we need to step out to? Michael Beck is a young man who probably, if I'm honest, I'd have a tendency to not think that God doesn't love him, but to think he fits the category of somebody that's just a little too far gone for God to get a hold of. Michael Beck was born uh, to a mother who was addicted to drugs. And as he grew up, he became addicted to alcohol. He became addicted to drugs. He became a convicted felon. If you saw Michael Beck today, even in a long dress shirt, you'd see the tattoos on his body. And he does not fit the, the characteristics that most of us would describe for somebody who is a prime candidate to receive and experience the grace of Jesus Christ. Many people I'm sure, would have written Michael Beck off. Fortunately, some Methodist pastors in his life story didn't. Fortunately, some faithful Christians who belonged to a local Methodist church didn't. And they knew God didn't give up on Michael Beck. And they didn't give up on Michael Beck. And in time, he would give his life to Jesus Christ. Today, if you were in Ocala, and probably at this very hour, and you walked into Wildwood United Methodist Church, you would see Michael Beck in his robe, standing before the congregation as the pastor of Wildwood United Methodist Church. In his bare feet, because he preaches in bare feet, in socks, I think, because he believes every ground is hallowed ground. And you'd find him during the week at a tattoo parlor leading a Bible study to communicate the love of God to others who we have a tendency sometimes to place outside the circle. We have our circles. Here's the two. We have them. I have them, and you have them. God speaks to us two powerful truths in this story. One, that his love never gave up on Peter, and it never gives up on us. But he also reminds us his love doesn't give up on anyone else either. Ask yourself, who have you put outside the circle? 
And in what ways is God calling you to step out and to see differently, to see anew? God's patience is given to us as surely as it is given to others. Let us not just receive it, but let's be challenged in our walk with Christ to follow and to live it. Let us pray. You are a patient God. And for that, Heavenly Father, we are immensely grateful because we try your patience. We push the boundaries of faith, but you don't give up on us. And you invite us back time and time again to believe and to receive your grace and forgiveness. We receive that, but we also are reminded today that that is given to others. The Corneliuses in our lives who we have placed outside the circle, but they're invited to faith as well. Forgive us our short-sightedness, our narrow vision. Help us to see as you see, to love as you love, to give as freely as we have received. We pray in the power of Christ our Lord. Amen.